0: Hey friends, welcome to another episode of The Lucky Few Podcast, where we are shifting the narrative by shouting the worth of people with Down Syndrome. This is Heather.
1: Mercedes.
0: And Micah is not with us today, but we have an awesome episode that we are thrilled that we're going to be able to sit down with Michelle C. Witten, the president and CEO of the one and only Global Down Syndrome Foundation. It's going to be an awesome conversation. Thanks for joining us, friends, and welcome to The Lucky Few Podcast. are so excited to get to share with you our sponsor for this week's episode Jonas Paul eyewear with home try on kits for just a dollar that allow you to try out their glasses for a week without even leaving home and prescription glasses starting at $79 including prescription lenses Jonas Paul eyewear is our go to for glasses for our kiddos between the ages of four and 16 head to jonaspauleyewear.com to learn more. right mercedes um i'm sad micah can't be here for this convo because it's gonna be really great and i know we've been talking i feel like even when we were back in seasons in our early episodes we've global's been on our list of let's have somebody on because we like to highlight foundations and organizations that are doing incredible things for down syndrome and global is doing incredible things for down syndrome (laughs) incredible
1: things and also Us three being mamas, I think it's so fun to highlight other mamas in the Down syndrome space that are doing really wonderful things to keep pushing forward the worth and the necessities that we need for people with Down syndrome and how much Down syndrome is needed in this world. And I feel like global Down syndrome, Michelle, they're doing that. So this is so fun.
0: Yes. And I love, I mean, we all love a mama who has a kid with Down syndrome and then sees a need. And then it's yeah. like, all right, let's okay. meet this need. And then it turns into a giant organization <laughs> right? that's then helping the entire community in incredible ways. And we have so much, so much gratitude for her. So let's, let's get going. Okay. So friends, we are so excited to have Michelle on with us today. She is co-founder, president, and CEO of the Global Down Syndrome Foundation. She has a very long list of awards she's earned over the years, including the 2013 National Down Syndrome Congress's President's Award, such an honor, and so many more. Michelle and her husband, they live in Denver, Colorado, with their two children, one of whom has Down Syndrome. She and the rest of the global team have truly created an incredible foundation that does so much for the Down Syndrome community, and we are very excited to have her on with us today. So welcome to the show, Michelle. Michelle.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited.
0: I'm so excited you're here. How are things in Colorado?
2: Oh my gosh, it's another beautiful day. We have over 300 days of sunshine a year. I would encourage everybody to come here, but don't bring anything with you. Uh, (laughs) It's wonderful. Um, But, you know, we are working hard. You know, we're doing everything we usually do, but then we're also dealing with COVID-19. So it's just a tough time for us, a tough time for our families, but... We're, we're here for it. We're up for it. And we're doing as much as we can.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Love it. We're so, so happy to be talking with you. And I feel like we should just jump right in. Can you tell us all the things about Global? Why did you start it and where it's at today?
2: Absolutely. So like you, Mama Bears, I started it because 17 years ago to almost the month, uh, I gave birth to my first child, Sophia, who happens to have Down syndrome, and I had a prenatal diagnosis, and you know, we were at a, in a decision-making tree, and we moved forward, and we never looked back, uh, and, um, but uh, I got a lot of testing done that showed that she would need open heart surgery. She had a complete atrial ventricular defect. I started looking into medical care and research because what we were finding really wasn't resonating with us in terms of you know what the knowledge base was or the services we were provided and uh, i realized that um you know through two trips to the nih that we were one of the least funded genetic conditions by our federal government Mm -hmm. so that explained a lot on you know research affects medical care and then um, at that same time my parents were retiring from the cable tv industry and they were like, oh, you know, yeah, I don't want to give the money that are my five children. I want, and we're like, dang, and and they were <laughs> like, where are we going to put that money? And I was like, I know, I know. And then the idea of the Global Down Syndrome Foundation was born with a focus on research and medical care, but then of course the education and advocacy wraparound around uh, with that focus. So you know, long story short, that's how it happened. You know, it takes a village. It was my parents, my husband, my family. It was the Down syndrome community uh, locally. You know, we, we started a parent support group. We became this kind of party group. You know, I love that. Uh, like, yeah, no, it was kind of it was kind of crazy. You know, uh, all of a sudden we were like thirty or forty families just getting together and you know really sharing more um, what we were learning and uh, you know celebrating. Uh, all of the milestones that our kiddos were making, uh, and we're still friends with all those people today. So mm-hmm. I'm sure it's not dissimilar to your stories. You know, you, you know, I had never met a person with Down syndrome before mm-hmm. I got pregnant with Sophia. Uh, I think it's a testament negatively to where I grew up in New Jersey <laughs> that, you know, I never met anybody with any kind of disability or who was differently able. I don't know where they put them in my high school or wherever. Wow. So, Uh, And, you know, my, my brother's gay, a lot of diversity in my family. And so, uh, and also righteousness, I would say. And so when Sophia was born, it just expanded that spectrum of people. I feel passionate about, you know, protecting their rights, advocating for their rights uh, in terms of the diversity of being.
1: Yes.
0: Oh, what year, what year did you guys start?
2: Uh, Well, so Sophia was born in 2003. I went to the NIH in 2004 and 2006, and I also went to eight major institutions of research and medical care, (laughs) you know, uh, twice each, you know, for maybe three days each doing kind of the due diligence, Uh, but we didn't actually officially start Global Down Syndrome Foundation till 2009, but we started the... um, NIH and the uh, lobbying with Congress in 2006.
0: Mm. It's Um, been a long journey. Yes. Can you tell our listeners what NIH...
2: Oh, sorry. So the National Institutes of Health is our federal government's body that, you know, provides, you know, $30, $40 billion worth of research funding grants, mostly to universities and those kinds of institutions uh, doing research um and it's very close i would say about 30 percent of what they fund it's very related to medical care not just basic research but it's all part of a um you know a a kind of pipeline you know you need the basic research and then the clinical research and then the clinical care and then it informs the basic research and the clinical research all over again Hmm. so yeah and the national institutes of health is not one entity it's about 27 institutes and centers that are very kind of disease specific, not always, but you know, because there's a National Institute of Genetic Medicine, but there's also the National Institute of Aging that has Alzheimer's, the National Institute for Eye, uh, the National Cancer Institute, Mm -hmm. uh, the Institute that's really focused on diabetes. So you can see how it's kind of disease or condition and um, what they call intellectual and developmental disabilities um, is housed under the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development. It's the Eunice Kennedy Shriver or NICHD, but with our lobbying efforts, we've been able to move it out of just the NICHD so they still have it there. And um, with our lobbying efforts, uh, we were able to um, encourage and see NIH create a trans-NIH model where all the institutes, which almost are all of them, let's Mm -hmm. face it, in terms of medical co-occurrences, coming together and funding Down Syndrome research that um, will, is already starting to benefit people with Down Syndrome. So it's exciting. So exciting.
0: So exciting. Oh gosh, it's so exciting. And why, uh, over the years, why do you think, or what have you found is the reason for there to be such a lack of funds when it comes to Down Syndrome research?
2: hmm Well, you know, I, I think, you know, there are so many, reasons. Like, I don't think there there's one particular reason, but there's like a confluence of, of, of reasons. I think on the one hand, you know, so when Sophia was born, I would go, you know, like literally, like when she, I was like flying around. And uh, I would go to the National Down syndrome Congress, um, you know, annual convention, which everybody should go to. It's amazing. Learn so much every year there. And, um, and I would go into a room and You know, I could be presenting on something and say, "How many people know that there's a connection between Down syndrome and Alzheimer's?" And nobody raised their hand. Mm -hmm. So there just wasn't awareness from the families, and therefore there wasn't a pressure to the national organizations to be making it a priority. So it's kind of like it was just kind of a, a cycle of that. And then I think if you kind of rewind to the terrible kind of eugenic-y institutionalization of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, people we call differently abled, I'll I'll put that right out there. And, um, you know, the idea of getting rid of these people, you know, really was in the back of most people's minds. Mm -hmm. So I think at a certain point, this idea of earlier better detection, which was happening, you know, we had amnio, we had CVS in the seventies and eighties. So there's this whole kind of like, Ooh, you know, we could just get rid of them. And then with the new testing, um, more non-invasive blood tests that have come out, there was kind of a resurgence of, I think that idea mm-hmm. that earlier better detection will solve the problem and not to be mean or genderist, but like, what a man's. <laughs> solution. It's like, so everybody will just like, you know, germinate or like naturally germinate. It's like, yeah, like, it's not your body. Um, So um, I think that the scientists weren't really waking up to the fact that this was a population that wasn't going away and uh, was going to be advocating for more Uh, And also remember they didn't, nobody met, like I didn't meet anybody with Down syndrome. So a lot of the scientists working on this hadn't met it or people who weren't working on it certainly haven't met people with Down syndrome. So I think there just was a a shift. I think we do stand on the shoulders of the human and civil rights advocates Hmm.
1: uh,
2: of the uh, 70s, 60s and 70s, you know, because that inclusion in school, all of those things really has created a different mentality, a different generation of inclusion, you know, and, you know, ac- acceptability uh, to a point, you know, we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, anybody totally. who has, a kid, you know, who's differently abled, mm-hmm. you know, in K through 12, you know, you know that at some point you've hit some challenges. Mm-hmm. We still have a lot to do, but I think it's a beautiful time mm-hmm. uh, to be born with Down syndrome in the United States. And I think we have to shout out to all these countries mm-hmm. who are where we were. In the 60s or 70s, or worse, you know, where um, you know these kids are maybe chained to a fence, uh, you know, or they're they're thought of as the devil, or they they're possessed, or you know, mm. the family will disown the the woman if she actually doesn't, you know, leave the child to die on a hill. Like we still have this happening in our world. Um, so how do we make kind of seismic change mm. and kind of keep that change going for people downstream in the United States, but also like bring up and support other countries where we can uh, as role models. Um, You know, age old question, you know, in every sector, not just in terms of the human and civil rights of one uh, population. Right. Yes.
0: Yeah. We talk about on the podcast all the time, we have the phrase Mm -hmm. narrative shifter. So it's that idea of shifting the narrative. And what I'm hearing you say throughout all of this is this proximity and relationship and exposure are so important in the conversation, in the narrative shift.
2: Absolutely. And, and the evolution of people and generations. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I don't have to be a generous, but um, <laughs> you know, Dr. Bianchi is now the head of the Kennedy Shriver National Institute of Child Health and Human Development. You know, we have Dr. Melissa Parisi, you know, also another genius woman uh, who is running the intellectual and developmental disabilities at that institute. And these, you know, Dr. Bianchi is pretty new and she is a Down Center researcher. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first ever on the NIH campus, you know, what they're bringing to this trans-NIH model that we helped uh, be the catalyst for through our lobbying congressional directive, is now completely embraced because they always knew mm-hmm. you know that they can't decide where the money goes but they've always known as scientists that when you have four hundred thousand people walking around in the united states who essentially aren't going to get solid tumor cancers mm-hmm. because of the third chromosome 21 and who are highly predisposed to alzheimer's and autoimmune diseases uh there's a lot of research that can be done that will not only Dramatically improve the health outcomes for people with Down syndrome, but for the general population as well. For
0: sure, for sure. Um, I'm curious why the health, why health mm-hmm. instead of education or schools or yeah, why why health for you? Why why did you lean that direction? Do you think?
2: Well, I think that there were uh, a few reasons. First, you know, we have other great national organizations and international organizations. I mentioned the National Down Syndrome Congress that are doing some great advocacy work, um, you know, in the areas of education, in the areas of um, employment, and uh, you know, other kinds of legislation. Um, so, you know, I don't think my personal opinion Ooh. is that there isn't one national organization that can do everything. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, I agree. Right, and it's like, you know, like you can just do. You know, early intervention in preschool. You could do K through elementary because it's completely different than middle school, which is completely right. different than high school. You can spend whole lifetimes and whole organizations fixing just one silo of that educate what you call education. Yeah. Then there's post-secondary education, right. <laughs> and then jobs. there's vocational education, and then there's jobs, and then there's independent living, yeah. and right. you know, uh, and, and and frankly, uh, we're not. Great at fundraising, like you know. Again, you saw you you see, autism getting two hundred million plus a year from NIH. We were getting fourteen or sixteen million when I was at the NIH, and then even when we had our big breakthrough, we were only at thirty-seven million. But today, because of you know global's advocacy, and and let me explain that our self advocates, the families that we bring to Washington, the Mm -hmm. report language that we help. Uh, infused with our um, knowledge about the base. Um, Now today, FY 2020, we're at 113 million. Wow. Right? So that, you know, in a fairly short amount of time, and and we watch every dollar, (laughs) and it's going to great research. I mean, research that really does stand to benefit the way it's being worked on, is intelligent. We've got Dr. Gibbons, we've got, got Dr. Tabak, K- 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 we've got Dr. Collins. They have structured this in a way towards maximum benefit in the shortest time. Mm-hmm. And they acknowledge the fact that we, you know, were terribly underfunded. So I think the healthcare piece of it was part of my own personal um, journey, seeing, uh, like, I went to a pediatric cardiologist, and um it, you know, can I say his name? No, maybe I shouldn't say his name. But um, I went to pediatric <laughs> cardiologist. If it's good,
1: yes. If it's not great, no. That's okay.
2: That's but, okay. But, you know, so I had read about early intervention, um, and I had said, um, hey, you know, what could I be doing now? You know, like, should I be taking selenium and, you know, zinc, sure. you know, like, all, all the things you read about? Um, you know, to in, improve. Also, I knew that my daughter at that point in time would have open heart surgery pretty mm-hmm. much right away. And, you know, what could I be doing to ensure that her lung didn't collapse or whatever? And, right. and also for typical children who have this open heart surgery, they usually have a behavioral specialist mm-hmm. to then make sure that the developmental aspects after open heart surgery, you know, are, are are, are kind of in in place or you're supported and he looked at me and he said the only thing that's going to affect your daughter's cognitive ability is the fact that she's mentally retarded
1: and were you like oh okay oh <laughs> yeah,
2: no, no. And, you know so so i didn't i didn't use him again but um <laughs> okay. but again like the, the, like so my personal experience with medical professionals right and also along the way, they missed her, her um, how, how you miss in so many ultrasounds, because I was high risk, uh, a complete atrioventricular septal defect. I have no idea. They, they were so worried I was going to sue them. But several um, specialists missed it. And then a pediatric cardiologist said, hey, she's got this. She's going to need open heart surgery. And again, different card, uh, pediatric cardiologists, different Uh, two other uh, clinicians said um, you know here's information about termination Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and you know at this point I'm 30 weeks pregnant and I'm like hey you know it's it's supposed to be 26 weeks right and then like you know you know then then it's like a no-fly zone and they're like oh but your fetus has down syndrome it's different your fetus has down syndrome so I think that kind of visceral personal experience yeah. uh, and say, oh my gosh, is, is, is this a healthcare that we're getting? Then flying to NIH and seeing that there was no understanding of even how many people with Down syndrome get certain diseases. It's like, oh yeah, we, a lot, a lot. Like a lot of people have sleep apnea. <laughs> a lot of people have, like, but how many and why? Is there a reason? Can you catch it early? Mm-hmm. And so I think fundamentally we felt if you don't have good health and at that time, we didn't know how many people had sleep apnea, but we use that as an example, even something very basic and that's untreated
1: mm-hmm. for a
2: long period of time, you're not going to learn, you're yeah. not going to, you're not going to be uh, attentive at, at home, at school, and the long-term health effects will be so detrimental. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of reaching your potential in our opinion, at that time when we set up global was so intimately tied to good health, mm-hmm. and yeah. so we said that's an area that nobody else is tackling. Mm-hmm. We're going to hit that and we're gonna hit it hard um, and uh, you know choose that lane and do as well as we can in that lane.
0: yeah, gosh, girl, you are amazing.
2: <laughs> amazing. Uh, There's other words, but is amazing. You guys Aww. are amazing, but our community is amazing. Like yeah, I'm one true. of, you know, uh, thousands of moms who are doing amazing things.
0: Yeah. It's, we, we call ourselves the lucky few and it's, I had this moment when my daughter, I have three kids and two of them have down syndrome and they're all adopted. And so my daughter came home at four months old and I had a moment of like, Okay, I'm confused because I I was terrified of adopting this child. I had no desire to have a child with Down syndrome. Everyone around me is like Down syndrome is this bad thing. And then here I am in the world with this little girl with Down syndrome and I and I don't see anyone else like her very many places and I'm so lucky. Like I had a moment just that really was in my gut of wow, I'm so unbelievably lucky to get to have a child with Down syndrome and I know everyone has a different journey. But I feel that there's that sense of there's a similar thread for a lot of parents that I've met over the years of a misunderstanding, you know, you can't know what you don't know, and then feelings of negativity towards a downstream diagnosis, and then what I say coming out on the other side of wait a second, this kid is incredible. And yeah. and we get to be a part of it, you know, and then and you take that storyline and you bring us all together as parents and as people who love with down syndrome and then these kinds of organizations happen you know then you see mm-hmm. big movements and changes occur um, because we recognize what is the beauty and magic of that extra chromosome mm-hmm. and we and it's our kid you know so then we want them to have their best best life ever so yeah
2: no i i think you know oftentimes i think you know as I was making the same journey that you were talking about, which is beautiful, right? And, and yours is even more compelling in a way because it's adoption, right? You know, the choosing of that child, I think, is a really big deal. Uh, and, you know, thank you for doing that. And thank you for being a role model for other people interested in adoption that may not have considered before adopting a child with Down syndrome. So I think that's, that's incredible. But, you know, getting through, um, I remember, I don't know, maybe she was about a year old, Sophia, just brilliant kid, of course. And, um, and I was seeing some of the the ways in which she was struggling through some of her, her therapies, and um, she must have been 15 months because she had just started a half day, two days a week at preschool. And, like, you know, seeing her with other kids, you know, because this preschool we have, it's like, of course, I'm half Italian, so I'm like, I want to see her, I want to be there. Like, so like I'm I'm looking through the like one way window like every day. And um, you know, at at one point I said like, she has been such a gift to me and to Tom and to our family and opened up our minds in terms of inclusion and diversity uh, and also made us better people. Like I think I'm a better mother to her and Patrick. My -hmm. my son who's typical who's younger because I might've been one of those like, I'm half Italian, but I'm also half Chinese. I, I might have been like one of those dragon moms. And, you, know, you got what wrong on your desk, into your bedroom. No food for you. So, um, you know, right? I don't know. So, um, But at one point I said to myself, it's like, so the Down syndrome in Sophia has made us better. But how is it making her better? How is it making her life better? I love it. What are we doing to ensure that for sure, it's not making it worse, but that the Down syndrome itself could be something that makes her life better. So she was very young. I had that kind of fleeting thought. I I haven't done much with it since, but it it kind of, it it stays with me, you know, in the back of my mind and, you know, maybe someday I'll do something with it. Um, But I do think we should be thinking about how it not only helps other people become better, but how does it help in not, certainly not defining Sophia, but also not making it a negative thing. Right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Gosh, I feel like that's, that's our next episode conversation. Cause that's a whole, that's like a very deep dive. And mm-hmm. I think it's one that I actually have not ever heard someone say it the way that you have. Mm-hmm. And I, like my head is just spinning. Like I can think of, I think of our Mason and she's 12 mm-hmm. and the ways in which her down syndrome makes her better, but I, but it's like, okay, we got to deep dive that right. And have a open dialogue about it, but we'll do that. We'll do that next time. All right. (laughs) I'll come to Colorado. We'll have a, we'll have a glass of wine. Um, (laughs) Yes.
1: I was just going to ask about the be beautiful, be yourself fashion show that Mm -hmm. global puts on every year. Can you describe that event? What goes on there and why you started it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the Be Beautiful, Be Yourself fashion show is the largest fundraiser in the world. Uh, that <laughs> uh, we, uh, for the last few years, we've sold out every year, at, uh, there are 1,400 attendees, and um, we've raised gross, you know, a, a bit over 2 million um, for the last few years. Phenomenal. So we're really excited, and, you know, and we, we try and have as much as the proceeds go to... Um, uh, we we stay at the at least 70%, if not more, going to the science and the medical care directly. Uh, so I think it's important to say, too, that it's like we're not just a big party, right? Um, that money, huge amounts of money, go to the Cernic Institute. And now we went from one person, Linda Cernick, who tragically died before all this could happen. And that's why we needed the Cernic Institute. She was a researcher who believed in NIH funding Down syndrome research and was my mentor. Um, and she, I only knew her a couple of years and she died in a bicycle accident hit her head. It was just a freak accident. Oh, wow. And so we decided to call it the Cernic Institute uh, in honor of Linda Cernick. And so first it was Dr. Blumenthal who was our, our first executive director who started this great grant program. Then his mentee, Dr. Espinosa, a nationally, internationally renowned um, cancer scientist just blew it out of the water. And so the funding from the fashion show goes to the Sernik Institute that now went from Linda Cernick, who sadly died to really no Down syndrome researchers to now over 200 scientists on the Anschutz Medical Campus working on Down syndrome research through every single discipline, et, et cetera. And um, what's beautiful is through that work uh, in 2016, we published perhaps one of the most seminal pieces of science that basically defines Down syndrome. Like, you know, when, when I say this, I, maybe, maybe I should say it in a more clear way. Down, Down syndrome is, you know, three copies of chromosome 21, but we can also characterize it mm. and, first time we were able to characterize it as an immune system disorder. Wow. So that's really cool and that's why the science is so good because in doing that then you then you have something tangible to work with. Mm-hmm. So from the time people are born with Down syndrome to the time they die they're they are constantly taxing their immune system. I don't want to get too technical through something called an interferon pathway and that interferon pathway is turned on in typical people when we're fighting virus and infection. And then it turns off. And mm-hmm. if people with Down syndrome, it just stays on all the time, which may explain why they don't get solid tumor cancers and why they get all these other things, which is kind of inflammation, right? Mm-hmm. So I just wanna be really clear that the money that we raise is going to that amazing research and to the almost 2,000 or over 2,000 patients that we serve from 28 states and 10 countries. through our C-Center for Down Syndrome and our Adult Medical Care Center. So, I mean, we, from that perspective, the impact is pretty, Mm -hmm. darn huge. And, you know, every year, we partly started it because of the music icon, Quincy Jones. And so he's a dear family friend. And he was just like, you got to do something. He fell in love with Sophia and he's like, I'll show up. I'll name my name. And so we created the Quincy Jones Exceptional Advocacy Award. Then my mom and I were pretty surprised. My mom is like a shopaholic and she's, she's from Italy. She could design a house like nobody's business. It's like, if you tell me I have to pick tiles for a bathroom, like I run the other way. I did not get that Italian gene. Uh, so she, she loves clothes. She dresses so nice. I'm more of a sweatshirt and a t-shirt kind of gal. And we were meeting with a very high end department store I, and I won't name names. And, um, I had the vision because having not met a person with Down syndrome, I, I and, you know, again, please don't think I'm a horrible person. Mm-hmm. Back then, what I thought of was, you know, an overweight person mm-hmm. who looked very disheveled, who had a terrible haircut, who was wearing floods and mismatched clothes, because, again, they were institutionalized. This right. is, you know, they they weren't being dressed properly, and they oh, weren't right. being given medical care, and they weren't being... Given good haircuts, and I was just like, let's just flip that paradigm, right? Mm-hmm. Let's make the people with Down syndrome the models on the catwalk, and you know, equal to the Hollywood celebrities that are walking them down. Let's just flip that whole paradigm. Mm-hmm. And I came up with the "Be beautiful, be yourself" kind of mantra, um, which I think resonates with everybody, right? It's not just mm-hmm. even a, a Down syndrome thing. And the department store said so you want us to clothe the models or downtime? And <laughs> they said, yes. And they're like, oh no, oh no. Like <laughs> we'll, we'll clothe the models, like the celebrities and the models, but we can't have our brand associated Whoa. with uh, those things. And then we moved on um, to different department stores at the time. It was 100%. Saks. And, um, but you know, but you see that, that it was like, I mean, that wasn't that long ago, that was totally. in 2008, 2009, uh, and so there are these kind of perceptions, and that's why I'm so grateful for the lucky few, I'm so grateful for Gerber, I'm so grateful for Target, and, mm-hmm. you know, Walmart, Walgreens, all the people who are using uh, our, oh, oh anthropology, mm-hmm. I mean, Amanda Booth, rock star of it's the totally. universe, a Quincy Jones Exceptional Advocacy Award winner, yeah. so um you know, I think the, the fashion show, the, is the, uh, the the fashion show itself on the catwalk is the heart and soul of the event, and every year, you know, you've been there, the models get a standing ovation, there's an energy in the room, Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing, Um, but there are also other elements, you know, we do have two Quincy Jones Exceptional Advocacy Award winners, and an ambassador. This year, our ambassador is Walt Snodgrass from Nebraska. We're so excited. Yeah, he's a beautiful teenager, just really uh, being a role model, especially the school, you know, those challenges in school in Nebraska. You know, he's on sports teams, he's engaged, he's doing a lot of great stuff. And then we have Katerina Scorsone from Grey's Anatomy, oh, uh, who has her beautiful Pippa, who has Down syndrome, and two other, like, I don't know how she has so many under the age of whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. like, hats off to you. And, um, and so she is one of our two, every year we give two Quincy Jones Awards. And then the other uh, Quincy Jones uh, Award winner is this beautiful Spanish model. you probably saw her in the New York Fashion Week. Uh, Marian Alvina. Uh, so she is from Spain. She was in the New York Fashion Week, um, knocked it out of the the ballpark. Um, and I think you know, with the heart, it's hard to travel, uh, and so you know, picking somebody international, despite the time she's going to have to be up really, really late, uh, which she doesn't mind. Um,
0: <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah,
2: and and of course we have you know um, our inaugural. Quincy Jones award winner, um, Deandra Dixon, you know, her brother happens to be Jamie Foxx. Oh, okay. But it's all about, that. no
1: big deal. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. And, and Oh my God, what a wonderful family. Like this brother takes care of his whole family. Mm.
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, his whole family and Deandra is a crucial part of that family. And so we're thinking that they're probably going to do a dance battle you know, and some really fun stuff. We're going to do the fashion show this year on October 3rd virtually. Yeah. And we just are begging people, please buy tickets. We're like financially in crisis, of course. Yeah. And um, we might do a small in-person event, you know, for a handful of the miles, very safe and social distancing. But mostly we're hoping that people will step up and buy tickets and tables. And we've got pretty much all of our, celebrities like, you know, we've got Quincy, we've got John C. McGinley, we've got Amanda Booth. Of course we have, you know, Katerina Soprosone and and Marianne. uh, But we also have like um, uh, Matt Dillon. We've never had Kevin Dillon. So I think he's gonna uh, step up this year. His, uh, their nephew, Ty has uh, Down syndrome. And um, so we have a whole cast of characters uh, and then our uh, Quincy Jones award winners with Down syndrome some of whom are famous actors in their own right. So Zach Sagan, oh, right? Yeah. From a Falcon, you know, we've got um, Karen Gaffney, Frank Stevens, um, and, uh, oh, Jamie Brewer. Uh, yes. You know, on, on how many seasons of American Horror and, you know, the first person to get the, what was it, the Desk Award off Broadway, yeah, you know, actor with Down Syndrome to get that award. So we've got brilliant stars um, coming out in droves, and we're so lucky this year to have the chairs of the Be Beautiful, Be Yourself fashion show are Jill and Lou Rutella from Nebraska, and their son, Louis is beautiful and was our ambassador in 2016.
0: That is wonderful.
2: We're still working on, like, how this is all going to work. Right, Totally. Um, But we're just hoping we get a ton of support for October 3rd. Everybody put it on your calendar, October 3rd, October 3rd. Right. There's going to be some surprises and some singing from some famous people. So (laughs) it'll be great. Um, So that's, uh, you know, we were kind of a one hit wonder. You know, we were very dependent on the fashion show. When we started, that's the first thing we did. So it was 100% of our revenue. Today it's about fifty percent of our operating revenue. So of course we're dipping into re- our reserves because right. of COVID nineteen. Right. And I think you know we're fine for this year because you know we've been lucky enough to build up that you know reserve. best standards of a year of reserve. But we're very worried about this going into next year, not only mm-hmm. for ourselves but for all of our colleagues yeah. that run down syndrome organizations. Uh, you know how are we going to survive together? How do we support each other? Mm. Um, and that's why we created the COVID nineteen emergency relief grants mm. for families that have uh, individuals with Down syndrome and for our member organizations. Mm. So, yeah. Wow, phenomenal!
0: That is phenomenal. It's so good. I want to take us. Uh, I want to take us a little bit in a different direction before we end our conversation here. And you had mentioned all of these incredible actors and actresses and people in the media who have Down syndrome. We had Jamie Brewer on the podcast. We did a live mm-hmm. event with her. She's incredible. We had um, Zach Gossaken's mom on the podcast. And, it's, we had, and we touched on it a tiny bit before, earlier in the episode, about the importance of representation. And so I want, I want to make sure we touch on this, because I, I really want to hear your thoughts and opinions on this, especially given the, how much you hold in the Down syndrome community. The idea of representation, and so we saw recently Peanut Butter Falcon come out, the movie Peanut Butter Falcon, mm-hmm. right? It was incredible, and I cannot imagine any of our listeners have not seen it. But if you haven't, today's the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, El Candidato, we got to have the people who created the film on, and both of these projects they were huge when it comes to representation for people with Down syndrome, and. Mm-hmm representation in the media is huge. You're, you know, your dad has, your family has media background. And even the idea that 11 years ago, a department store is saying, no, I'm not gonna do that. And then we saw recently last month, a woman with Down syndrome is, it was a model for Gucci. Gucci yes, yeah. right. right.
2: love her, love yeah. her. Yeah, so we're seeing, we're seeing
0: things change, but can you talk to us what, like your thoughts as you see Peanut Butter Falcon come out and your ideas and thoughts on representation in the media For Down Syndrome and why that is important. Yeah.
2: You know, I I think it's very interesting because, um, given my own background in um, the cable TV industry and in production, um, when we first started the Global Down Syndrome Foundation, uh, I would be approached at least monthly with. I've always wanted to create this documentary or this movie. All I need is $8 million and uh, we're going to change the world and everybody's going to accept people. (laughs) And so, you know, I have a different lens on these kinds of things, you know, from a business media perspective, you know, uh, even uh, films that win lots of awards, um, you know, may have a viewership that's, pretty tiny. You know what I mean? Like they get like a, a bump and then, you know, they, they get some press and then we're on to the next thing. You know what I mean? So what kind of lasting impact will it make? I do believe that um, a, a media makes a huge impact. Uh, but I think that this idea that a one film or one thing is going to change the world or you know solve K through 12 education or the health or whatever you know, it is, is not correct. I think it contributes in a huge way to the awareness piece and the expectation piece uh, of um, what we have to uh, kind of piece together as our mission as different groups and of, of people and different organizations. So kind of going back to not one organization can do it all. I would also challenge people that, all the organizations should be somehow coming together. Right, mm-hmm. yep. so you know, like totally. the, the, those two things. Um, so it was very interesting because, uh, you know, um, Global and myself are the exec- an executive producer of the, of the Peanut Butter Falcon. Right. And when it was brought to our attention and we did the, pre, um, the pre-post-production screening of it before it was finalized in Denver, that's part of why so you know I think we we were very cautious and we wanted to see it and you know the trailer wasn't at that point at the level it is now clearly and so we were like does this reflect well on people with Down syndrome does it not reflect well uh you know what is it uh and part of the reason I think was of course there was you know Chase Perry and there's a personal relationship but then there was also the story of the first time feature film uh, directors, writers, writing it for Zach, the actor, and then Zach, the character, that intrigued me for us to even get involved. And then when we saw it, we were just like, wow, this is something we do want to be involved in. This is something that has legs and, you know, could raise the bar uh, move because a movie is just the movie right the movie is what it is it does it have entertainment value will it be perceived well will people love it will people talk about it and then there's the uh, mission driven piece of it which is hey there's a lead actor with Down syndrome in it huh. <laughs> you know right, right, right. And, and all of that you know, to push forward and unpackage. So we felt that on both levels, you know, from the movie perspective and and from the uh, mission-driven perspective, it had legs, it could be a huge success. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but like when films come out, they have a limited run and a very limited um, uh, exhibition in certain numbers of screens. And we worked with the local Down syndrome organizations in those cities. And we just bought out tons of tickets, uh, you know, through the Down syndrome, activated it because we knew if we hit a certain benchmark, it would then catapult it into wider screens and let it stand on its own glory type of thing. But it could have gotten killed, right? In in that uh, first window. And so, uh, you know, I I wish I could remember every single Down syndrome organization that stepped up and and did this, uh, and all of the families. But, you know, that's part of the success—the community coming together behind this film. Beyond Zach being brilliant, the writers and directors being brilliant, Brilliant. uh, and then of course, the success of it—the really is at the feet of. Shia LaBeouf, right, who read the screenplay, you know, they've been shopping around for a long time, <laughs> and he's like, I'm doing that film, I want to do that film, and um, who fell in love with Zach as an actor, um, but then also, you know, you can read about it, they had this whole personal journey, yeah. and they are best friends and lifelong friends, uh, as well as with Dakota and all the other great people on the set, they became kind of a family. So I I don't have enough good things to say about Peanut Butter Falcon. Um, And I do hope, I mean, and Zach's got exciting films lined up now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there are three that are in the works for the next two or three years that I think, you know, uh, are gonna really speak to the fact that he's not a one hit wonder and that he has been acting and Honing his skill as an actor in theater, in film, uh, short films, uh, through classes and, and acting programs for years. Um, and, uh, you know, the harder you work, you know, the, the luckier you get, right? Right. Um, yeah. So I think there we have a lot to look out for in terms of his future. And how many ships has he launched?
0: Yep.
2: Thousands, hundreds right. of thousands. Right. How many people who are Differently able, have Down syndrome, are like, I'm gonna be in a
0: bill. <laughs> right. Oh, totally. I totally.
2: I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. be an actor. So um it, you know, I feel like peanut butter falcon is the gift that keeps on giving.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I remember when I saw it, I was so nervous because there's been too many, this is gonna sound mean. There's been too many projects done in the name of Down syndrome, including films that are just not good. And I've had people over the years be like, you should watch this. And the main character is Down syndrome. And then I watch it. I'm like, that was a terrible movie. Like there was no plot. The character development was poor. I'm grateful a person with Down syndrome was in it. So watching Peanut Butter Falcon, I was nervous. Like, please let this just be a great film. right? Like, And I I think that you you even alluded to this, that idea that when you're talking about a movie and you're going to find a movie or you're going to get behind a movie, it's gotta be a good movie. And now there's also a main character with down syndrome. And I think that we need to, as like the greater community, the greater down syndrome community, when we're creating projects, have that as the lineup. It's gotta be a great project and it stars, you know, or it focuses on down syndrome rather than the other way around. I think a lot of times we're like, we've got to focus on down syndrome and then we'll figure out the project. Yeah. But if we flip that, then we create this idea of excellence, I guess, that or this idea of more mainstream, where then more people are going to be watching it and be interested because it's a great project, it's a great film, it's a great play, it's a great idea, it's a great nonprofit, and it also the focus is Down syndrome. You know what Absolutely. I mean?
2: Yeah. No. And, and you know, uh, I think you're 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 being very fair because, like, if you look in the you know, for every good movie that's made, right? <laughs> How many hundreds not thousands of I mean, not so
0: great so movies? I
2: mean, and, and also to be fair, there are good movies that don't get their due as well. Like they, <laughs> yep. they don't, they're not a commercial financial success and they're beautiful movies. So, yeah. you know, the movie industry is volatile and it's like gambling. Mm-hmm. Like the yep. chances of you investing, even if you got the right actors, the right script, right whatever, the chances of you winning in other words, making a film that's commercially successful and critically acclaimed is what, one or two you know? percent? So it's not going to be that different just because we cast actors with downsides. Dumb- you know, so yeah, so in, yeah. in, in some ways, it might be more challenging. Yeah. Right? Sure. Like yeah. That The statistics Absolutely. might be even less.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. I, we're, I say this every episode because we get to the point where I look at the clock and go, oh my gosh, I could talk another hour, but yeah. people... Including you and listeners have other things to do. So we're going to take a quick break and hear our sponsors. Okay, so my Macy has been wearing Jonas Paul eyewear glasses for years now. They have been our go to for glasses. And here are the reasons why. First of all, they are so stylish and adorable. She feels confident and beautiful every time she has her glasses on she absolutely loves them they are comfortable with arms that are adjustable to fit her face and to fit behind her ears jonas paul eyewear is affordable their prescription glasses start at just 79 dollars that includes prescription lenses and they currently offer blue light blocking lenses for extra screen time and online protection which is great right now for all the screen time and online learning that our kids are doing. If you're interested, if your kid needs glasses, you need to head to jonaspauleyewear.com. You can use code THELUCKYFEW15 at checkout and save 15% off just for listening. You're going to thank me and your kid is going to look amazing. Can you tell us... Tell the listeners the best place to find more information about Global Down Syndrome Foundation.
2: Yeah, definitely. You can go to um, www.globaldownsyndrome.org. And uh, of course, you know, from our homepage, you can get into a lot of different areas, but I strongly recommend you go and there's right on the homepage. You can link to our COVID-19 page. There is so much important information you should know about Down Syndrome and COVID-19 on that page. So please go to it.
0: Yeah, I know we didn't even have time to talk about that, and that was in my notes to, to touch on. So I'm glad you mentioned that, and, and I do really encourage everyone to head on over there as soon as you're done listening, um, because Global Down Syndrome Foundation has been doing a ton of very helpful, informative work when it comes to COVID-19 and Down syndrome.
2: If people have medical or research questions, please just email us and ask. Okay right? I mean, I think we're really good at triaging and helping people I love that. find, you know, some sort of answer. You know, there are times where it's so complicated that we fail, but I would say 90 some percent of the time we are able to connect people to the right resource to kind of help sleuth what those medical issues are.
0: Okay. I just want to say thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on the show today, it really, it's an honor and a privilege and you are to be applauded. And I highly admire you and the work you've done. And I'm very, very grateful. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Um, Thank you. you know, I admire you and of course the lucky few, um, but I do feel like it's, it's not me, it's this whole group of people and it's all the other organizations and all the families coming together. Uh, and that's when we have kind of uh, amazing,
0: what I call the juggernaut success. Oh, I like it. I like it so much. Um, And then thank you also listeners for listening. So you can also share your good news in our messages on Instagram. We are the lucky few pod. And if you have a product or a business that wants to help us shout the worth of people with down syndrome, we would love to partner with you. You can email us hello at the lucky few podcast for smooth.com for sponsorship opportunities. A huge thank you as always to our producer, Val leader, our editor, Josh Avis. And our sponsor, to all of you who share the Lucky Few podcast with friends who've listened faithfully and who cheered us on, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember that you are dear listeners supporting your loved one with Down syndrome. You are a shouter of worth and you are a narrative shifter. So keep on keeping on. We are here cheering for you and we'll be together next week on the Lucky Few podcast.